So for this week, um, because I have met some new friends and uh, a few more people are following the page now, I kind of wanted to give an update on where I'm at because I haven't done much of that. So basically, if you're new to listening to Tyndall's Razor, if you're old to listening to me ramble about whatever it is, either way, here's something I haven't talked about in a little while, and that's just kind of how I'm doing. So this whole podcasting public display of my mental health journey started years ago. And it really started like a decade plus ago when I became an EMT and learned a bunch of really cool ways to help save people's lives. But nobody ever taught me coping mechanisms to deal with what happened when I couldn't save someone's life. And then that on top of being like, I was very, very, very privileged growing up to have two parents that are heavily invested in my life. But in the 90s, in the early 2000s, dudes didn't talk about mental health. It was all still very much a suck it up, men don't cry, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just get done what you got to get done. A lot of stoicism that was far too stoic. And I like to say now, like stoicism is not an absence of emotion. It's an abundance of self-discipline. So there's a balance, right? Because if I was always just sad and talking about my emotions constantly, well, I couldn't get anything done. But I also need to be able to recognize when something's bothering me and deal with the things in a positive way. So decade plus of just getting my ass kicked, working 911, 24 to 48 hours at a time, no sleep. It's a very rewarding career, but I wasn't set up for success when it comes to the coping mechanisms. And I didn't know that I needed them in the first place because at the time I was like, well, PTSD is not something that a civilian paramedic's going to get. PTSD is what my friends who are getting blown up overseas get. There's what the people come back missing limbs and friends. Like, like that's that's the PTSD. Now, what I have is just my own fault. You know, I have my own depression. I have my own sadness. Whatever it is, it's my fault. I just need to suck it up and do and deal with it. And of course, the sucking up and dealing with it never deals with it. And then I would just end up self-sabotaging relationships. I would um, express anger in inappropriate times that would push away the people around me that are trying to show me love that I wouldn't open up to because I didn't want to share that burden with them. And it's difficult to, when you're in an environment like being a first responder, whether you're law enforcement, fire departments, EMS, even even emergency department nurses and nursing care staff there, like the shit we see is rough on a good day. And it's hard to talk about that with people who aren't part of it in the first place, because I mean, the the humor alone would send most people running away and never wanting to call 911 again. So between my own nonsense sense of machismo and the difficulty of relating to certain people that were my peers at the time too, because there's also a lot of self-imposed pressure. I've talked about this on other excuse me, on other episodes with um, friends and colleagues like Evelyn, where we talk about peer support, um, like my buddy Ron Moore Jr. is doing amazing work with C2C for PTSD, helping out veterans and first responders. There's just so much of it that we weren't ever talking about before. And basically, long story short, this is me talking about it. And I, I got to a point where I'd worked EMS for approximately uh, about a year, probably a little, little, about 10 years, about a decade or so, a little more than that. When um, I first started really manifesting all the symptoms of the burnout 
And that just being like depression, low libido, no interest in doing anything. And then I finally in 2019, I say finally, but I had my first physically manifesting panic attack. I was working, I don't know if I was on a shift swap or what, but I was working at a station I didn't usually work at. And I had worked there before. And the partner I had that day, the EMT I was working with was amazing. Shout out, Jen. You you saved my ass on so many occasions while saving other asses. But that day was one of them as well. I'm, I'm Truck is all checked off. I'm just hanging out, sitting down. And next thing I know, like my hands are tingling. I start having this like panic fight or flight kind of response. And like, so me being the you know, paramedic that I am, the medical professional, I think like, okay, well, why is my heart rate jacked up right now? Why, why am I breathing so rapidly? Like, okay, well, my, my fingers are numb. Okay. Well, what's my breathing? Like, oh, I'm hyperventilating. Why? And then finally I'm like, oh shit, homeboy's having a panic attack. So I called my buddy, Mike, another EMT and very close longtime friend who's someone that has had anxiety, panic attacks, things like that in the past too. And I'm like, bro, I'm having a panic attack. What do I do? And he helped me with some coaching exercises, some grounding, basically. And it all sounds kind of like, woo, coaching exercises, grounding techniques, blah, blah, blah. The dude just talked to me. He's like, hey, man, look around. See, are you in danger? No? Okay. Well, let's go down the list of like survival needs. Is there any kind of immediate threat that you need to worry about? No? Okay, cool. Well, are you safe? Yes. Are Is there anything else going on you need to attend to? No, I'm just at the station, between calls, whatever. And... It was basically him just kind of telling, okay, what's what's real and what's not. So once we kind of established what was real, and this is what works for me. I'm not saying what works for other people. I'm just going through my story right now. Once we kind of went through what was real and what wasn't, and I realized that, okay, this is, this is a physically manifesting panic attack that is not due to outside circumstances. Then I realized, okay, something something's not right here. And shortly after that, we got banged out for a non-emergency transfer. Basically, go to pick up to a pick up a um, a patient at one hospital, take them to another one in the ambulance. Because even though we're, you know, a county EMS agency, gotta make that guaranteed money, and that means you're gonna get banged out for transfers all the time. Another part of the burnout, but I, that's another episode for another day. Anyway, but uh, but Jen, my EMT partner at that time far more emotionally intelligent than I uh, recognized I was not having a good time. She's like, you look pale. You look terrible. You're sick. You call, call Lieutenant, tell him you're sick and you need to go. And that's not something I ever normally did because well, so much of it too is like, well, if I can't do this job, what am I? My entire existence is wrapped into being a paramedic. But I went to, I went to EMT school when I was 20, got into a gnarly motorcycle accident um, towards the end of, of EMT school. And EMTs and paramedics there saved my life. So it seemed very obvious that I was predestined to return the favor. And I have been um, for the last 13-ish years. And the only downside of all of that was, was at the time, I was fairly religious at that time too, um, being raised in a very Christian family. And for me, I added a lot of divine pressure on myself. So when I'd have calls that had someone who was a father, a mother, someone who had dependents or like a young child, someone who hadn't lived their life and it had fatal consequences. I would, I would be angry at God. I'd be like, well, why, why, why'd you save me if I can't save them? Like the whole pur purpose of me being here was to be able to save them. And of course this, this unrealistic fantasy land thinking, but it's where I was at. Like, 
our our brains and our emotions are not usually realistic unless you understand where that stuff comes from you know, where the lizard brain really ticks, what causes these different kinds of responses. And you start to recognize the human patterns that are there because trauma comes from all kinds of shit, whether it's the stuff I volunteered for going to run calls all day and night for a decade plus, or whether you grew up in an environment where you've got abusive parents or an abusive lover or any plethora of horrific circumstances that can occur to us or trauma comes from different places but a lot of times there's patterns in the way humans respond to them because they're stressful circumstances so i mean that post-traumatic stress doesn't have to come from a certain place and that was part of what fucked me up for so long too was thinking my stuff has to come from a certain kind of thing like oh i haven't been to war so i can't have ptsd all that was just me denying i had ptsd and not dealing with my problem like a grown-ass man so Anyway, to catch up a little bit, I guess, I spent just kind of, I didn't know what to do because I had my entire identity wrapped into being a paramedic. And over time, as I started seeing friends and colleagues committing suicide and then wanting to do it myself for a hot minute, I finally got to fuck it. And I said, I I have to walk away. And actually, I went... I left EMS in May of 2019 and I went straight into the fire academy because I figured, you know what, like all, all my entire life's been basically spent in firehouses. And like, I'd never really, never really cared about being a firefighter. Like I want to be a medic or a transport medic. Like this is, I do my best work in the back of a box flying down the interstate at 80 miles per hour, license sirens. Like that's, that's the thrill. There was a moment when I was in paramedic school, I was on a clinical ride along with, um, Another colleague and uh, friend I respect a lot, um, Stu. But there was a moment we we had a patient who was having a uh, heart attack, and I remember like looking up at one moment during the chaos as we're bouncing along down the road, and I'm just like, we've got IV bags hanging up, there's equipment strewn around everywhere, packaging, blood. It was just pure chaos, and there's a quick moment when I was like, this is where I belong, and that was early in my career, and. Gradually over time, that feeling started going away. It started becoming much more like, oh, I hope this is a false alarm, or I hope hope it's not this big thing. I hope it's just uh, I can get a refusal out of this, and they don't really need to go to the hospital or whatever. It, it became such a routine chore, and it's not so much the critical calls that burned me out. Like, is that any first responder is going to tell you this exact same thing? We'll run the critical shit all night. I'll be up all night running heart attacks and car accidents and fires, all of that. That's that's what I trained for. That's what I wanted. That's what I was here to do. It's the bullshit that burns us out. The people calling 911 at 3 a.m. for dry, cracked skin on their feet and the lotion they got from the ER earlier in the day wasn't working yet. And then they demand to be taken by ambulance to the ER because they think they'll get in faster. First off, blanket PSA. No, 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 no. No matter how you go into the ER, whether it be through the ambulance entrance or the front doors, you are determined, it, the order is determined by triage, severity of whatever your presenting thing is. So if you've, <laughs> there, was a, there was an instance when I was working at an ER in Orlando and I was, we were very short staffed and I was basically working as the triage nurse out in the front. And um, I had just pulled an elderly man who was actively bleeding out of his car and took him in a wheelchair back to the, the triage room, did bleeding control, all that, took him back to where he needed to go because he was not terribly stable. 
And then after helping with all that, I come back out to the the waiting room after five, 10 minutes of treating that guy. There's still blood on the floor from the trail where he came from his car. And I had a woman approach the desk when I got back and ask, why am I still waiting? I've been here for four hours. And mind you, her complaint was uh, uh, abdominal pain times four weeks. And vial signs were stable. She had been triaged. She's breathing fine. Blood pressure is fine. There's nothing leaking out of her that I'm aware of, at least. And I just kind of pointed at the blood trail on the floor. But that's not an uncommon story. That's not an uncommon kind of attitude. There is... I am very, very patient with people who need patience, who deserve patience. But there's a lot of people, a lot of grown-ass people that they don't need medics. They need mommies. And they need some kind of self-awareness that they're not the only person in this world. And that just because you can call through, you can put three numbers into a phone and people show up, doesn't mean you're the only ones we're showing up for. While I'm showing up for that bullshit toe pain times three weeks in the middle of the night, I probably just got done running a traumatic cardiac arrest, or maybe it was a fatal pediatric shooting or something horrific that I'm still trying to figure out my way writing that report through, much less getting over the fact that I just witnessed it or was expected to take care of it in the first place. And then I have to compartmentalize that to deal with someone treating me like shit because they feel entitled. And that's where the burnout came from. And I mean, it was partly that. And it was also a lot on me not dealing with the fact that I was burnt out and being in denial about it. But when I finally, so anyways, back to the story. So I, I left EMS and went straight into the fire academy thinking, okay, well, I, maybe, maybe I can get a little bit of a break if I get a job and they put me on an engine or something where I'm not doing these transports that take up so much of my time and keep me awake so much. Maybe even get a, uh, do the engine roll, as I call it, and you get banged out for a medical call and you can just roll back over because it's the ambulance going, not you. But I, uh, I had a... Uh, relationship had just ended right before I uh, I went off to the fire academy. So and that was also a very, it was codependent. At least I was very codependent with that relationship. I wanted her to be more than just a partner. I wanted her to be some kind of salvation for me. Basically, I was kind of putting all of my stuff on her without putting any of it on me and not helping her with her stuff. So she made the right call ending that. And I am, Happy to see at least she seems to be doing very well, but it was the right call. So I was reeling from, from that. And then the burnout I hadn't been dealing with anyway, going to the fire Academy. And I just, I didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel, or at least if I did see the light, I figured it was a freight train and I just felt like I was trapped. I was turning 30 in the fire Academy with all these kids that are like in their early twenties, if not a little bit younger, just one dude, we, one dude in my squad couldn't even drink yet. And, uh, I just was going through motions because that's all I knew to do. And none of those motions involved being real with people. None of it involved getting professional help. None of it involved being emotionally mature. It all involved shutting up, walking it off, working harder. And I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of of getting through the academy and graduating and then i was hired uh by another department shortly after that but after a week of um orientation we uh there's a fire alarm call that went out when i was on the training grounds and i remember 
we were just going to go like watch basically. But I remember getting geared up, sitting in the engine, facing backwards. Like this is what I've been training for. This is basically like the culmination of all the 22 weeks of hard work, blood, sweat, and tears I've been putting into this. This is it, right? Like, so I was looking for that feeling I had when I was on my paramedic clinicals with that guy having a heart attack where we just, we had, we were the eye of the hurricane with the, with the chaos all around us. And we brought order to it. Like that feeling of like, this is where I need to be was not there. I'm like, I hope it's a false alarm. I don't want to stand out here and watch the fire. Like I just wanted to get done, go home. And I realized right in that moment that, oh, dude, you shouldn't be here. If that's the attitude you have going to what you're training to do, then you're going to get yourself or somebody else killed. And so I thought I'd be burning all the bridges, pun actually not intended. I thought I'd be burning all the bridges I ever made when I resigned. I basically kind of at a loss of what else to do. Just I I hit that rock bottom fuck it where I'm like, I'm I'm probably gonna lose friendships. I'm gonna lose my all, my self-esteem didn't exist in the first place. But I thought I would lose the respect of my peers and my friends because I was spending all this time being you know, just in the paramedic and now I, I can't be the paramedic. So I shared, I shared it. I started posting on Facebook. I, I wrote what I was going through, why I was doing this. And I don't know if it was an attempt to try. I just wanted people to know where my heart was at and where my head was at. And I think the root of it might have been more to try to make sure people didn't lose respect for me, but that's neither here nor there. What's what's the important part of this is what happened after I started sharing it. And that's when people that I thought were the most stoic, badass motherfuckers in the world were saying stuff like, Oh dude, I'm depressed too. I've got, I've got this problem. I can't sleep. I have insomnia. I have nightmares too. And all these people were seeing, I thought, I thought the job never phased them. I wanted to be like them. These were these were the ultimate like 80s action heroes. This is Arnold and Sylvester wearing cutoff shirts with abs and pecs and all the all the chaos and awesomeness. And just, you know, they wake up and slap gunpowder on for cologne. Like these are some badass dudes and some really badass women too. But for me, of course, being a man with kind of that machismo nature, it was the dudes opening up too that really that really helped me. And that's basically my, uh, my origin story, or at least this podcast origin story. So once I figured out that dude, you got some problems, I started trying to figure out how the hell should I fix them? I tried a couple counselors and initially I, they, I mean, they were good. I, I don't have any issue with them, but we just, we didn't vibe. And I know, I know a lot of people who didn't really vibe with their counselors. I don't know. I mean, sometimes it's just a personality thing. People be people. We're different. Sometimes you're going to connect with other people. Sometimes you're not going to connect with other people. But for me, I think the biggest thing was, again, my, my trauma came from a very specific environment. And going to like a general family counselor or someone that doesn't understand that gallows humor for me is a coping mechanism and not a symptom. It wasn't a good fit. Plus at the time I was paying for it out of pocket and finances were a major stress in my life. And then adding more stress on top of my already super stressed out mind just kind of led for a perfect storm of spiraling and between denial, substance abuse, 
um, unhealthy relationships and unhealthier coping mechanisms. It's <laughs> the last couple of years have been a Yakov Smirnoff opening for the spin doctors at the Iowa State Fair shit show. But I finally got uh, some PTSD counseling catered for veterans and first responders um, through UCF Restores here in Central Florida. So awesome program. I did a couple of weeks of cognitive behavioral therapy, and I did not think it was going to help me at all. At that point, I figured I would just be going through the motions. But you know what? Like, I can't. I can't kill myself. There's too many people that I love that would be so hurt. And there's so many people that I love that hurt. I'm not going to say they hurt me because I don't like the take that somebody committing suicide is selfish. I think that's fucked up. I think unless you've been someone who's been on the brink of pulling that trigger metaphorically or literally, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's fair to say what they're doing is unfair to you. I know for a fact it hurts people that care about others and care about, like, if I killed myself, there'd be a lot of people that were very, very devastated. And I did not want to hurt them. So I said, all right, fuck it. I'll, I'm going to stick around for all of them. I'm going to go through these motions. I'm just going to do what the, the counselor tells me to do and just go through the motions. And then basically going through the motions, well, next thing you knew, I was swimming instead of drowning. And then I started building healthy coping mechanisms. And I started building up a community and a part, part of the community that I'd built up with the support too came through podcasts like this and, and writing and just being a real person and talking about my insecurities and my tribulations and my triumphs. And I finally, I finally got to the point through, I mean, partly doing this and partly talking with family well, that I realized that I, I, my job is not my identity. I am not good because, oh, Justin's a paramedic. So he's worthy of love and he provides for the world. So it makes the world a little bit better. I'm not a good person because I was a paramedic. I mean, I went to be a paramedic because of who I am. You know, healer's going to heal, right? I just didn't realize I had to heal myself this whole time too. But I finally unwrapped my identity from my job. And now I have realized that, okay, well, I mean, there's certainly better jobs than other ones. And I I miss it so much. God, there's so much I miss, especially, especially like this the fire department camaraderie. It's like there are no tighter friendships than the ones that you forge in either I only ever fought fire in training, so I can't really talk about that. I've been outside plenty of fires, but I don't I don't go in. I'm like, like my ambulance. Like I said, you guys can have have the fires. But um, the steel that's forged in metaphorical fires or literal ones, when you're in life or death circumstances or stressful situations in general, the friendships you form there are just, they're amazing. And it's its something really special. And I do miss a lot of that. But like I said, the bullshit, I don't miss that. I don't miss being away from home for days at a time. I don't miss not being able to sleep. I don't miss being abused physically and verbally by patients every single shift. I don't miss making fast food wages, doing highly skilled work. Um, but all of that being said, I guess I just really wanted to give a heartfelt thank you to everyone that's been with me for this, this, this ride. It's been, it's been nuts. And 
yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm kind of, I was thinking about work and um, I start trailing off. I'm, I'm not organized with any of this. I'm just kind of spitballing from the sleeve here, shooting from the waist, but thank you all so much. I, my grandma told me something when I was really having a hard time that I, I don't know if it's true or not, but I know that it's helped me. And she told me when I was struggling with what, what am I going to do after I leave EMS? Like, I feel like I'm a racehorse just put out the pasture. Like all my good days are behind me and I'm just waiting to get turned into glue. And she told me that she said, she said, I think you have helped more people through your podcast and through your writing, whether it be on my Facebook or my Substack I have now, than you even did on the ambulance. And I don't know. I don't know about that. But I do know, like I said, healer is going to heal. And I'm just going to. I know a lot of people that stayed quiet about what they were going through and they're not here anymore. So. Despite breaking my jaw in that motorcycle accident and being wired for shut for nine weeks, I'm here and I'm not going to ever shut up. So if you, uh, if you're one of the people that likes listening to it or has found some kind of solace in it, and I don't, I don't by any means think it's like, I'm not bringing anything special to the table here. I'm just talking about something so many of us go through and I'm in a unique position where I can talk about that kind of stuff. Cause so many people have to worry about jobs or their families or different kinds of social dynamics that don't let them really have the opportunity to be like, yo, here's my shit. I'm just going to air this dirty laundry, like a clothesline in, in July. But I think I'm in a unique position where I can do that. It's not unique just to me, but I think unique comparatively to most of the population. And I just know that like I've I've listened to so many people through podcasts when I've been struggling that I've helped me. People like 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 David Goggins, um, uh, people that Joe Rogan's out in his podcast. Just there's there's so many different examples of humans sharing their tribulations and their triumphs. And I'm I don't know, maybe I'm jumping on the bandwagon, but either way, it's uh it's quite the trip. So again, thanks everybody for hanging out with me. Um, I'm really excited to keep airing my dirty laundry. So love y'all, be good, and talk to you soon. Bye.